What happens the first five minutes after you die? You ever thought about that? Have you ever really sat down and thought about it? Mm-hmm. What do you think will happen? We hear so many things. We know the Bible says that when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But you hear so many things about heaven, about people who claim to have died and gone to heaven and the things that they saw. But have you ever sat down and thought about it? You know, I think that we tend to think more about our own mortality the older that we get. But, you know, that really shouldn't be the case because we know we've lived long enough to see that people are taken out of this life and the flower of their youth. Sometimes uh, men my age, you know, you'd think that they would be just fine, but men haven't even reached the age of 43 before they've had a heart attack and, and they went to eternity to meet their maker, you know, in, in their 30s. So we just don't know. But have you ever really sat down? You know, I, I don't think that I ever have until today thought about what happens in the first five minutes when you die. So I want to take, for example, a righteous soul. What happens to a righteous soul in the first five minutes? Long before the funeral is held and your body is laid away in the cemetery. Long before the ambulance arrives at your home or at the hospital. And before the next of kin is notified or even the preacher is is contacted, even before the watchers uh, who may be waiting at your bed and watchers in your home, surrounding a bed of sickness, sitting in the kitchen, talking, having coffee, having snacks, visiting, coming and going, long before they're even aware that a loved one has gone on, you could experience the first five minutes after death. For example, with my uncle, My Uncle Lee had the restaurant in Cambridge, Lee's Restaurant. His situation was he died at home, and they had brought in a bed. Hospice had a bed there, and he was laying there. And the the last days of his life was spent with his family surrounding him. And I got to talk to him while he was still conscious, and he went through the whole process with hospice caring for him. And when he passed away, there was somebody sitting right there. And uh, my mom was near uh, her sister Sue was, was near, and they knew, they knew he was going to go. But we don't know the moment exactly when the soul departs the body. But we do know this. For example, the body can stay alive. We can keep the body alive. But when you breathe your last breath and the soul departs the body, there might not even be anyone in your family that's aware of it. You know, depending on the circumstance we die in a car accident, if we die in our sleep, just we don't know the circumstances. But long before anyone else gets to doing these things that we do and honoring the dead, you will have experienced these things in the first five minutes. You know, this is a subject that obviously we have to deal with. It's not a comfortable one. It's not something I'm going to preach on year round, but this is the subject for tonight. And it's something that we need to be confronted with. We need to think about it. Uh, we were sitting in the house the other day. And, and I said, uh, kids, I want to show you a television program that I watched when I was little. 
and uh, I turned on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody grow up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? And, and when I put it on our flat screen, it's, it's square, you know? And I said, the reason why it's square is because TVs used to be square, and I used to be the remote control, and, you know, we didn't have a remote control. But, um, you know, the first show that came on, there's Mr. Rogers doing his thing, you know? And he's, like, coming into the house, you know, taking off his overcoat and his shoes and putting on his sweater and stuff. And he's going to feed his goldfish. And the goldfish isn't moving. The camera zoomed right into it, and he's looking at it, and he's like, hmm, it's not moving. And then he kind of moves the fish bowl, and the fish is kind of rocking back and forth, but it's upside down. And he said it's kind of just going back and forth like that. And so he, he got out his net, and he took the little goldfish out of the water, and, and he thought that he would do something to try to revive it. And he put some salt on it, I think, and... and the fish had passed away. But, you know, he started talking to the kids. And he says, my fish died. And he says, you know what we do with things that die? And we have to bury them. And so he put it into a napkin. He went out into his backyard. The cameraman met him back there. And he started digging a hole with his little flower uh, shovel and and he laid the lifeless body of that fish into that hole and covered it up. And, and he started talking about why we do this. And, and, and uh, you know, Lucas looked at me and he said, uh, he said, Dad, do people die? And I said, yeah, yeah, they do, son. People die too. And I said, do you know why we bury things when they die? you know where that came from? And I said, it, it came from the Bible. We see that in the Bible. That's how we honor someone who has passed away. Because the Bible teaches that we came from dust, right? Dust thou art, to dust thou shalt return. And so we put people back into the ground from whence they came. And I talked a little bit about how you can find all the minerals in the human body. You can find those minerals in the dirt, you know, because we were made from the, from the clay. So uh, they were just, I mean, tuned in. For 20-some minutes, Mr. Rogers had their attention like a master of teaching children. And uh, we learned about death together. Didn't know it was going to happen. It was a divine appointment. But you know one thing he didn't cover? What happens to the soul of a human being when they die? The Bible tells us that. And so what will it be like in the first five minutes well, I think this, and, and now I got these notes from my Larkin's Bible, Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth, okay? So I want to give credit to him, but I always adapt them, change things, put them into different wording so that I think it would be more helpful to us, and then I add things to it as well. But just want to let you know that, give credit where credit is due. First thing is we will be surprised that death was so easy. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For a saint of God, we will be surprised of just how easy it was. There will be no ghosts. There will be no demons coming up out of the ground and, you know, like you see in some of the movies in Hollywood. Um, there will be no dark forbidding waters that we have to go through. There will be no dark valley of the shadow of death. 
when we die. That talks about what we go through in, in life in the process of dying. But when you breathe your last breath, you'll find out that it was very easy, easier than what you thought. To quote Clarence Larkin, word for word in this case, it will be like falling asleep and awaking in a beautiful world. Think of that. The peace, the joy that we will experience in just a moment. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So secondly, we will meet the ministering angels. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, really, what's going to happen at the moment that we pass? We will meet our guardian angel. I believe that. So let's look at Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Luke chapter 16 and verse 22. This is the account, the real life account of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. And what happened when they died? A, a man who died who was rich and influential but lost. And a man who died who was poor and needy, but he died and he was saved. So it came to pass in verse 22 that the beggar died and what happened? And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. So Lazarus was carried by the angels. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And I guess... Jesus ought to know what happens after death because he created all things, all things in heaven and in earth, spiritual and invisible and also uh, physical and natural. He, he created everything. He created hell for the, for the devil and for his angels. He created heaven and uh, paradise and the new Jerusalem. Uh, he, he created all that. He knows what's going to happen. He made the angels to be ministering spirits. So Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. Won't that be something to meet an angel that's been taking care of you all your life? Wonder what he'll say? Yeah. <laughs> Probably be like, I can finally take a break before I get assigned to somebody else. You know? But do you ever think about this? They like to look into the things of the Lord and and the whole process of redemption and fallen men and women and boys and girls getting saved and helping you through life and they watch your faithfulness or the lack thereof, your lack of faithfulness, your lack of love. And they, they probably wonder sometimes, why aren't they more faithful? Why don't they love the Lord? You know, they can't understand what it means to be fallen and and to be redeemed. And to be born again, they don't know anything about that, but they just watch us. And I bet some of us are going to look at our, our at our guardian angel and be like, yeah, it'll be humbling, I think. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. You know, for that matter, folks, it's going to be humbling for every one of us. Let's just be honest. Um, and we're just going to say, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? He didn't say that to anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, Jesus is better than the angels. He's higher. 
and uh, has a greater glory. Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits, all them angels? Ministering, serving. Well, what's their ministry? What's their job? What do they do? Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Amen. That's me and you. So we have ministering angels who take care of us in a way, in a spiritual way that we can't comprehend entirely. But we have a guardian angel. As I look back on my life, there's some times where I, as a Christian, where I wonder how I got out of something alive. You know, so foolish. Uh, we don't know, but that God sent a ministering angel to protect us, to bring us through something. I believe in that. I do. It's not that God is going to make everything work out perfectly for us. You shouldn't tempt the Lord. It's not like we can just go bungee jumping off of a bridge and I'll be like, I know you're there, guardian angel, come with me, take care of me. If this thing starts to break, you keep a hold of this rubber band on my back, you know. Now, I don't think we ought to tempt the Lord, you know, but we got a guardian angel who's he's there to watch over us. And um, there's a spiritual battle going on. And then uh, we will meet our ministering angels. And they will carry us. So we'll have escorts as we go to, to see the Lord. Now thirdly, we will be conscious that we have left our earthly body. We looked at the passage last week. Paul said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. So he looked at himself and he's like, it looks like a body, but it's different. But we'll be conscious that we've left our body, because Paul was at least conscious of that. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, but I know something's different. Something's changed. And when he looked at himself, the reason why he didn't know is because it looked like his body. In other words, you'll be conscious that you've left your earthly body, and you will have a spiritual body that I call the soulish body that looks just like your physical body. So you'll be conscious that you've left it, all the weaknesses that you felt. This is good stuff right here. All the suffering, the limitations of your body, the temptation to sin that grieves your heart. Um, Everything will be absolutely well. You'll be fitted in every way with a spiritual body that is ready to dwell in heaven. This body is... It's like a vehicle to get you around in, the, in this world. It's an earthly body. And it's good for getting you around in this world, but it can't go to heaven. The Bible says that flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So this flesh is no good. Your blood's no good. But you're going to have your soulish body, and it will be fit and ready for heaven. It won't have all of the glorious powers that we learn about that we're going to have when we get our glorified body. So, if I had the board up here, I would put a man right here, your earthly body, and then once you pass away and, and are taken to be with the Lord, unless he comes back at the rapture, but let's just say you go the way of all the earth, and you get your soulless body, that's your second one, which is what's inside of here, so you've had it all along, but that's your second one, and then you will get your third glorified body, you say, when does that happen? That happens at the rapture. At the rapture, everyone will get their glorified bodies. So in other words, you'll be conscious that you've left your body. You will be escorted to heaven, transported there with the heavenly uh, ministering angels by your side. And they will take you there and you will see your loved ones and you will recognize them. 
And they will be in their soulish bodies. They will not have their glorified bodies. But you'll be free of all pain, all care, all the limitations. But you just won't have your glorified body with all of the abilities that it will have. Because it will be like Jesus's glorified body. Which we could talk about at another time. Because it's just it's too cool for Sunday school. As George Griffiths would say. So, being conscious of that. People have asked me before, they said, do you think we'll recognize our loved ones in heaven? Yes, we know that for certain that you will. You say, how do you know? Luke chapter 16. You will know your loved ones. You say, what will they look like? Now, I'm just going to say this briefly and we'll move on to the next uh, point or two and be done. What will they look like? They will have a, a soulish body that looks exactly like their body when they passed. So... <clears throat> The Bible says then that we're going to be like Jesus. So when we get our glorified body, we're all going to be 33 years of age, 33 and a half, when you get your glorified bodies. Does that happen with your soulish body, or do you have to wait for your glorified body? So in other words, when I get to heaven, let's say my dad makes it there before I do. When I see my dad, will he look like he's in his 70s, or will he look like he's in his 30s? I think the only thing I can say that's scriptural is that he's going to look like he's in his 30s. I know that will happen for sure after he gets his glorified body, but he won't have his glorified body until the rapture. So that's what I'm telling you. I'll tell you this, though. You will recognize, because the rich man was able to look into paradise, and he saw Lazarus, and he recognized him. He saw you know, people, and, and, and Lazarus saw him, and Lazarus recognized the, uh, the rich man. So you see, we know it from the teachings of Jesus Christ. So in other words, it is going to be a grand reunion. So let's move on to our next point. We will be transported upward through space toward a beautiful country, a place that shines brighter than the sun, and will be welcomed home by the Lord's host of angels. Think of how glorious that will be. And the redeemed of the Lord. And this is what, now I'm just saying, this is what I think could happen. Okay? I believe that when we get there, that our loved ones will be waiting for us because we have a guardian angel. I do not believe that our loved ones are able to look on us on earth and see what's happening because if that was the case, I don't think it would be heaven for them. I think it would be suffering for them to watch us and being in a state of holiness, no longer being tainted by sin or tempted by sin and then looking on us and seeing what we're doing. I think it would be heartbreaking and I think it, because the Bible says that heaven is a place of rest, I think what they're doing up there right now is they're just resting. And they're just basking in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. And they're just, they're, they're, they're whole and they're happy and they're in a state of peace. And so what I think is that our guardian angel is able to tell them, or these ministering spirits are able to tell them that we're, we're on our way. Now, that's just my thought, okay? We'll find out. You say, what else are they learning up there? They're learning all these things that we want to know about. They're learning about them right now, your loved ones that are in heaven. Isn't that something? Um, I don't think all these, these theological questions will be of much interest to us then, but I think we'll have questions about certain things that will be, will be answered during that time. Here's another thing. We'll know the fullness of God's love like we've never known before. You'll get up into heaven and you'll breathe into the atmosphere of heaven and just breathe in the love of God. And, and you'll be able to experience it like you've never known it before. And I'm telling you, it's just going to move you to worship, to praise, and to adoration. 
Because you won't have the flesh and this sinful nature and your, your double heart to, uh, you know, deceive you and cause you to love the things of the world and to love the Lord at the same time. And you won't have any of that. It'll just be all love for the Lord. And I think this, if we don't see the Lord in the first five minutes, I believe we'll know his presence is there. We'll sense it. We'll sense it. Because imagine being transported into this third heaven, into this heavenly realm. You're seeing the brightness of heaven. You're seeing the host of angels. You're being met by loved ones there. And you're talking to them. And uh, whether or not the Lord is right there to greet you uh, at that moment, we don't know that for sure. But you will be with the Lord. And you will sense that you are with the Lord. And you will sense this. That you're in a holy place. A holy place. And I think there will be, be a sense of understanding that our God is a holy God. He is, like John said, he's light. In him is no darkness at all. And you'll sense just how holy he is. And just how unholy this is. And you, you'll, it'll come to you, it'll hit you, it'll be a realization like never before. And, you'll, and you'll, it'll just make you love the Lord. You say, well, it'll make you feel dirty like a dog. No, I think this. I think it'll make you love the Lord and, and it'll make you have a greater uh, appreciation for what he did in saving a wretch like you and like me. And coming down into this filthy mess of this world and becoming a man. Looking just like all the other sinners in the world, but he wasn't a sinner, you know. I think it'll be a <clears throat> time of just realizing these things. Next, <clears throat> if we don't see Jesus, like I said, I, I believe we'll sense his presence. Um, and then lastly, we will see our loved ones and we will know them. So I can answer with confidence on whether or not we'll know our loved ones. Yes, we will. It is possible... Um, as I said, about our guardian angel to communicate with them because our guardian angel comes back and forth. So we looked at a righteous soul. Now, you probably thought I was done, right? I'm not done, done, okay? If I say I'm wrapping things up, it could be 15 more minutes. It could be two more minutes. You don't know. Right now, now that I said that, you're like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You're just not going to mess with me like that. No, just briefly, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If I said a righteous soul gets to experience that, what makes us righteous? You say, well, obviously you have to be good enough to go to heaven. That's what the natural man says. That's what a lost religious man says. They say, I just believe. Uh, Now, I shouldn't talk about everything that I know. But um, suffice it to say that there are many people out there, if you ask them about their religion... They would say, my religion has belonged to some organization. My religion is on a wall. It's Ten Commandments. But if you said to them, look, is Jesus Christ your Savior? Are you trusting him 100% to save you from your sins and from the penalty of your sins? They'll say, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. But people don't mind a little bit of religion. But when you start talking about Jesus being the only way and getting down to brass tacks, what it really is, then you'll find out, <clears throat> you know, not everybody who talks about heaven is going there. 
And not everybody who goes to church is going to heaven. This is what makes a person righteous. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written. John is telling the purpose for writing this gospel. This is the only book in the New Testament that was written to unbelievers. To lost people. To people who are not ready for heaven. This is the only book that was written directly to an unbeliever. Okay? These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that being baptized, is that what it says? You might have life through his name. I can't read it real clear. I don't have the light on. No, that's not what it says. That believing ye might have life through his name. Isn't that what it says? Okay, turn over to chapter 10. Chapter 10 of John's Gospel. It's just so clear, these verses, they don't even need any commentary. It's so clear. John wants people to get saved and have eternal life. And he said the way that it happens is by belief. That's the condition for salvation, belief. John chapter 10 and verse 27. John 10 verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Now, hold on a minute. I'm just going to say what he said. He said, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. His sheep, he gives them eternal life, and he says, they'll never perish. That means to die and to be lost eternally. He said, they will never perish. Be lost eternally. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. All right. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 47. So Jesus says he gives eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus has the power to give eternal life? Chapter 6, verse 47. You imagine, what if I were to say to you, I can give you eternal life? Yeah, say, big liar. Where's the Kool-Aid at, you know? I'm getting out of here. Crazy kook. Con artist. I can't give you eternal life. But Jesus can. John chapter 6, verse 47. Verily, verily. That means truly, truly. I like what an old black preacher said. He said, you know why that says verily, verily? And they said, "Mm mm-mm. And he said, that's because it's verily, verily important. And that's good. I think that's pretty good uh, exegesis of that right there. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. He gives it to you. What do you have to do? You have to believe on him. You have to believe on him. Okay? A couple more verses. Look at verse 37. Same chapter. Um, Verse 36. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. So Jesus was mad at some people because they did not believe on him. After seeing all the miracles. He says, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise 
cast out. So Jesus is saying, if you come to him and believe on him, he will give you eternal life and he will not cast you out under any circumstance. He will not cast you out. Okay, look at verse 27 of the same chapter. Somebody said, well, I'm a religious man. I'm going to ask Jesus what I have to do to go to heaven. You ever wonder what Jesus would say to that question? Right here you have it. Verse 27, Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Because what were they doing? They were, they were just following him around trying to get another meal. They wanted to see him do his trick again of feeding the 5,000. But for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, Jesus said, Labor for that meat which the Son of Man shall give you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Okay, they said unto him, all right, we'll do it. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God. Now, right now you're saying, aha, I knew it. I knew there's something that we have to do to be saved. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. I got that underlined in my Bible because I like that. It's so clear. Have you believed on Jesus Christ? Have you? Let's look at one last one, John 3.16. You could look at John 1.12 as well, but let's just look at John 3.16. Because right here, it's so clear. It's so clear and so simple. God does not make salvation hard. There's only one condition, and it's belief. Yes, yes, it implies uh, repentance. And, and that's a good place, by the way, to give your amen right there. Yes, it implies repentance, of course. You know, you're either going to decide, I want to go my own way and I want my sin, or else I'm going to change my mind about that, and that's going to cause me to turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ. So it implies repentance, yes, but it's not saying that you've got to clean up your life, and unless you clean up your life and stop all this sin, you can't go to heaven. That's, you, you misunderstood. That's why John wrote this, to make it so clear you can't miss it. One condition, belief. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You see, God loves this world. That's talking about the human race. And so much he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He'd like everybody to go to heaven. But here's what you've got to do. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means you will not perish but have everlasting life. So let me just summarize it like this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That's what this gospel said. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe the gospel? That God sent His Son into the world to die for our sins. He was buried uh, and rose again the third day. Do you believe the gospel? If He rose again the third day, that means God approved of His sacrifice and that he has power to forgive sin and to give you eternal life. All right, if you believe the gospel, you can believe. Listen, you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you really believe he has power to forgive your sins, all of it? Do you believe he has power to give you eternal life? All right, you're saved. That's it. That's it. it if you got down and you prayed and said, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart, that's fine. That works. If you just one day just believed and realized, God, I do believe and Jesus is my Savior and, and uh, I, I'm just, just getting it settled with you again because if, if Jesus, if you don't save me, I have no hope. 
You know, if, if that's what you did, if you just believed in the middle of a sermon, the, the point is you've got to believe. And then I think is a good thing for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, go ahead and call on the name of the Lord. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. If you've done that, you have eternal life. Let me read this verse to you. It comes from John's Gospel, John five twenty four. The moment that you believe, that's when eternal life starts. You're not waiting to see what happens after you breathe your last breath. The moment that you believe, that's when eternal life starts. You say you got scripture for that? Yep. John 5.24 says here, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, you just heard it, believeth on him that sent me. John 3.16, God sent his son, has everlasting life. Okay, if you've believed on Jesus Christ, it says you have it, present tense. So do you have everlasting life? Eternal life? How long does that last? <clears throat> you see, you just can't, you can't beat it. You can't get around it unless you just don't want to see it. I, I don't see it, preacher. I don't see it. That's because you don't want to see it. You have everlasting life. It starts right now. You possess it. It is yours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord... Uh, <clears throat> I, just, I love teaching your word and preaching your word. And um, Lord, um, help us just to stand on the word of God. I thank you so much that you, you came to me with the gospel. And Lord, that when I believed on Christ, I believed he was the son of God. I believed he was able to forgive my sins. I believed that he could give me eternal life, and he did. And I thank you that you make it easy for us to get saved. You don't make it hard. And Lord, I thank you for the confidence that I have that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I thank you for our, our guardian angels, the ministering angels, Lord, and uh, I look forward to seeing you. I pray that you'd come back tonight. And Lord, if there's somebody here that's not saved, Lord, I pray that they'd get saved, that you'd deal with them when they're laying down, their, their head is on their pillow. I pray that, Lord, that you'd burden their hearts about getting saved and not put it off. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Sorry for going over, guys.